I don't want a pickle I just want to rattle my motorcycle Hello everybody and welcome to the Nokomoto Podcast episode number 205 I am your host, MotoG Pete, and with me is your other host, Swiggy Yo we are coming to you from Nokomoto Alternative Headquarters, also known as Moto One Podcast Network Studios Recording Suite B. We have a little, let's see, it's episode 205. Uh, let's see, at the top of the show here, couple things to remind everyone. Number one, we're headed to MotoGP in, what, uh, three weeks now? Yeah, three weeks. Well, two and a half weeks, and we'll yeah. be yeah. Well, no, race day is three weeks from now, mm-hmm. so we're headed in two weeks and a few days. We will be. Let's see here. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say now. Jeez, we're reminding everybody: join the Patreon, and as long as you're giving us five bucks a month, you get to be a guest on the show. I think next week we're going to have. Bruce on, who's not a Patreon member, but he's another podcaster. But, you know, we could have two people on. It's not impossible. We have the technology. So in any case, go ahead and do that. We we had two heroes join the Patreon this week as a result of our offer. And... And on top of that, there's a couple of Patreon messages that I've neglected to get to. A couple corrections and omissions. So one of them, I can't remember who the Patreon member was. You might be able to look at this up, Swiggy, while I'm talking, since I am screenless for this episode. Someone corrected me on our How to Sound Like You Know What You're Talking About Engineering Principles episode. That I got it backwards, and he's 100% right. When you're testing for continuity with a multimeter, you get the the beep. uh, It's backwards from what I said. So I said when you test and you get continuity, the beep comes on. It's the other way, pretty sure. I don't know. I've I've got myself all turned around again. Anyway, noted and heard. But otherwise, I think all our information was good. Second, we had not a correction, but an omission on the episode where we were talking about speed being a little bit imaginary. I can't remember another Patreon member. I can't remember who because I don't have the screen in front of me. Said we should discuss how not just horsepower is a little imaginary, but claimed top speed and but more importantly inaccurate speedometers people saying they've hit a certain speed but actually aren't okay yeah so quick point on this by law certainly in the u.s in the uk and australia and i imagine most places as well because it's a fairly rational thing all speedometers read fast. Well, it's not by law. It's just that they are allowed to be 10% optimistic. In some countries, they're it's not 8%. Allowed to some be... countries, it's 10%. But they're allowed to be fast. They're not allowed to be slow. 
Right, and they're allowed, yeah. And so, the wig, all the wiggle room is fast. So by law, they are all well, fast. as a consequence of the law. Yeah. They all read fast. No one goes for one that reads accurate or within two percent or something. Although I'm not sure about this entirely because I remember when we rode the Kawasaki, both the Kawasaki's down to MotoGP that one year, the Vulcan was like within 14 miles or something over a thousand mile distance. So that was within 2% accurate on the odometer but I thought the odometer was run off the speedometer. Um, I'm not sure what that's how that works for that setup. Um, because the odometer was digital, and the speedo is analog. I don't know if they compensate for it. I imagine they do, but maybe not. Um, no, it's it. It's no, there's no way it's that close. I, I I know it seems it doesn't matter anyway. Issues addressed. So, ooh, uh, we, you know we've got you know we need to make this a quick episode because I have somewhere that I've got to be before too long. So let's just dive into best worst bike in the world this week. Okay. Okay, so here we go. This is Best Worst Bike in the World this week. For our new listeners, this is where we take two motorcycles. One of us has the best bike in the world this week. One has the worst. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's always going to be a surprise. You may be upset by what we say. Send your constructive criticism to contact at nokamotopodcast.com. It's in the show notes, and it's in there automatically, so I don't have to remember to put it in there. And remember, it's really just a fun way to look at two different motorcycles in a way that you might not normally look at them. Okay, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. All right, and you're ready to reveal it? I am. All right, everybody hold your breath. And the best bike in the world this week is? The 2023 Suzuki V-Strom 800DE. Oh, the the middleweight V-Strom. That's right. I don't know Mm -hmm. anything about this yet. So... Imagine if you were to buy something. Now, in reality, you know this is kind of adventure style, but it's really a, very much a highway bike. Now, imagine if you were to take the the Norge and modernize it, and you kept the same horsepower, but you made it liquid cooled, a bit more reliable. You dropped the displacement. You dropped the weight. 150 pounds and you had an enormous aftermarket uh catalog to choose from that's what this bike is. does it keep the the power it's the same 90 horsepower it's 90 okay all right on an 800 twin all right i like that um dry weight of 500 pounds 500 nice uh okay. Uh I like the minimal adventure beak. I like um now okay, so this doesn't have the seventy one foot pounds of torque. It is the fifth it's fifty eight foot pounds of torque. Okay. So you're dropping a little bit. But how does that compare to the Tenere seven hundred numbers? Because that's what I have to compare this to. 
I'll have to pull that up real quick. It's so I mean, the Tenere is a solid fifteen horsepower less, uh, and I'm not sure what the torque is, but I'm imagining it's proportionally the same amount less. Okay. So let's say it looks like we've got a little bit of built-in wind protection on your hands with these sort of bark busters that it comes with. Um. Perhaps, but I mean, if you want like full on bark busters, you're going to be able to get some. Right. Because it's, it's a Suzuki. There's going to be aftermarket parts for it. Whereas with the Norge, it's like, what did GV decide was worth making for this bike? And that's what you're going to get. So this is, so, so, so the last companies to make anything are always Honda and Suzuki. Because Honda wants to come in with the best, and Suzuki wants to make sure it's a big part of the market and they're going to sell a lot of them. Because Suzuki can't make small batch models, right? Everything mm. needs to be a big seller. They can't make anything just for fun like other companies can. So it's like a bike is a, you know, you know like a, an actor isn't really James Bond until they've had a ski chase. And a motorcycle doesn't really have its own sales category until Suzuki makes it. Right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, it's not a straight one-to-one analogy, but... Uh, the So yeah, this really this bike legitimizes the, the middleweight adventure category. It's now a thing, whether I like it or not. It's a thing. I mean, I, they're all giant bikes, but this is this is what middleweight has become, and that's fine. So, uh, it's a little weird that it's a V-Strom, even though apparently, like, the the big V-Strom isn't a V-Twin anymore. Is that right? I can't remember. Um, I can't remember what they did with the big one. The, the big one might still be a V-twin, but this is a parallel twin, right? Uh, yes. Right. So the V-Strom name is weird. It's just branding. This doesn't share any bodywork. I think it's got a different enough aesthetic to separate it from the V-Strom and the big boy V-Strom. I, I kind of wish it just had a different name, but whatever. They're going to go with branding. V-Strom's their, their thing. It's their Multistrada type name. They're going to use it. Uh, it's it's Suzuki, which is a company that I, I like. It's, I mean, the extra power is nice. What is, what's the value proposition? Is it significantly more or less than than something else because uh, you know whoever's looking at buying this isn't going to be the serious adventurer but the person who wants to at least look adventure and it does that well enough it's going to be someone that might be in the market for possibly like uh uh like a the new Honda 750 but they're like, well, I kind of like that chunkier adventure aesthetic, which is fine. Um, 
So it is a little bit more, a little bit pricier than the Tenorang. Okay. Um, it does come in at eleven thousand four hundred ish. That's not too bad. No, that's still that's still fine for for an eight hundred like this category. That's not breaking the bank. I we used to make a much bigger deal about price. Um, everyone just expects everything to be too expensive anymore, so it's kind of hard yeah. to turn people off just simply so, by price. So it's it's about it's nine hundred dollars more than the Tenere, which. If, I don't think that's significant. If you more. like this more than the Tenere, you're going to spend the extra $900. Yeah, the $900 isn't going to sway you, exactly. So I'm fine there. I like the colors. I like, I'm fine with the stacked headlights. I, I don't have any issues. I'm just wondering, what is its thing to make it best bike in the world? It needs a little bit of a party trick. Is this the middleweight adventure that is compromised all the way towards touring? Is that its thing? I think that's what it is. Okay. I think if you want, if you wanted something like, like an F eight hundred, or if you wanted something like the Norge or a Stelvio, and you wanted that kind of, you know, not huge or ridiculously excessive, but a nice big kind of like, kind of um, touring bike on a budget. This would be the way to go as opposed to, you know, going all out and dropping, you know, the 20 grand to get a kitted out, um, like BMW, you know, like GS 1250R or whatever. You know, you, you don't want to, if you don't want to go that direction and you want like the more modest proposal, this is what you would go for. And this is what we basically got out of having things like, like the Norge, um, something kind of like the future uh you know what you get with the vulcan or with uh, with like the vulcan nomad or with the um or the ulysses it's kind of that it's a big comfortable long distance bike but it's not the flagship and you're getting basically a lot of what you would have got with those bikes but this is up to date. It's modern. It's new. It's going to come with a warranty. So if you wanted that category and you just wanted it new, this is where you would get that. Okay. I I like that although you'll like this, although it can it can hold a lot of baggage. It doesn't come with any baggage, right? The Tenere 700 was so anticipated and all the advertisements for it were people like like ascending Everest with it or some bullshit, right? Or crossing uh, some sort of desert or, uh, I, I don't jumping out of airplanes with them. I don't know. Everyone claimed that the Tenere 700 could do everything. And they found a couple videos and found a couple very talented writers to do some impressive things with them. And, and then, I feel like if I was going to buy a, a Tenere 700, it has so much to live up to. And I don't know if I have that kind of energy, you know? Yeah, if you're not wheeling out of every gas station and stopping into every single, uh, up to every single pump, are you really living up to the reputation of this bike? Exactly. It's it's a lot to have to rep, you know? I uh, Something I want to talk about next week 
is, you know, if you re- if it's possible to truly ride alone and, you know, is your is the brand you're riding part of your pack, so to speak? Well, even if you're not thinking about it, you know, as other riders look at you or are thinking about it, right? So if you're on an adventure bike, is it possible to just simply ride anywhere? Or in some small way, are the people, you know, around you, like, do they approach you with some sort of like, oh, he might fly off the road into the woods at any moment, like sort of attitude? Or, or... Or can it just be a bike? Can it can an adventure bike really just be a bike? I, I mean, at some point they're going to have to because at you know, at this point there's no expectation with an SUV. Right? They used to have they used to have to be able to do things, but we've bred all of it out of them. And I think that's going to happen with these adventure bikes. I think so. I Now, you can look at that as a positive or a negative. And, you know, is this the RAV4 of adventure bikes? Is this the moment where we go, listen, it's a plucky little bike, you know, Okay, so so you know a motorcycle's version of four wheel drive is is basically having these these uh, these big spoke tires, you know, a larger front wheel and more travel, more suspension travel, right? That's the motorcycle version of four wheel drive, or all wheel drive, or whatever you want to say, right? I think all wheel drive is a fair comparison. All wheel yeah. drive, yeah. And so we're gonna go. Oh well, there's motorcycles and adventure bikes. will just have okay. The, the Navier tires, the big spoke front wheel, and the extra two inches of suspension travel. And, I mean, will it be that long before we get some sort of Buick SUV version of a bike? It's like, oh, this is the, this is the, the, the Tenere, like, touring, and it's got, like, a full Vetter windshield on it. <laughs> and you know and, and and the sound system and everything or you know is this is this the RAV4 is this okay it's a Toyota it's a Suzuki it's not the cheapest bike on the market but it's relatively affordable and goddamn is it going to be reliable and it looks the part nah yeah it's got the it's got the wheels and the suspension travel thing to do you know but it's actually fantastic for driving on the highway yeah well, I would say like it's probably in the in the in the category of something like the Rav Four, but at least it's not a Jeep Liberty, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it, yeah. it does. The Jeep do Liberty something. is a flat out bold faced lie, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I, th- I I think that this is it. Maybe this is the model where we're just like okay, because this is definitely an adventure bike. It's just. I I don't know. Is it? I how I much hype I, does it have to live up to? Noticeably less, right? But I think what you're getting out of it is you're essentially going you you're essentially going to do all the things on this bike that you would do with something like the BMW F850. But you don't have to deal with BMW maintenance. You you've got big four reliability maintenance intervals 
parts supply and parts cost. But you're still just going to do all the same things, even if it is, you know, 10 horsepower less and a little bit less torque. And you don't, you know... What, is what, it less horsepower than an F800? Uh, I, th- I think the F800... The F800 goes pretty hard. It's like a 110 or something. Is it really? The BMW... Yeah, the, the or it's at least 100. Because um, it's a parallel twin like this. Talk about a bike ahead of its time. Um, yeah, but you do pay for it. And if you don't want it... It kind of you're still you're you're go, you're in the BMW club, which a lot of people wasn't don't. the F eight hundred like a six fifty or something. Uh no so no so the F eight hundred is like a seven fifty, but they originally had the BMW where they had the they had the seven fifty, then they upgrade then they called well, no, didn't it, it all start with the six fifty Funduro? Oh the Funduro the Funduro is a single. But it was a 650 single, right? Uh, yeah, was, yeah. But that was that was the 650 GS, uh, and then they also made the Funduro. But the F800's was... a GS. It's the F800 GS, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. yes. But it's not the single. It's the parallel twin. Okay. Yeah. Now it is like a 770 something cc motor, and the 750 and the 800 are the same motor. Um. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. It makes no sense, but yeah. Okay, so I mean, the yeah. So so we've gone from the F eight hundred to here, but like you said, the F eight hundred goes kind of hard. This one's a little more chilled out, at least in terms of the off road capabilities. Mm. So okay, I mean, but again, like you know, when the F eight hundred was out, it was kind of a weird bike. Some people were into it, some people weren't. This legitimizes the category everybody's got one now everybody's got one uh in the same way that the (laughs) go on (laughs) that's terrible i was just gonna say in the same way that the zune legitimized the ipod but no not not quite this isn't quite that no No. well i actually it was actually um it was the zen um the creative zen was the was the real alternative was the android oh you know well it wasn't it android didn't exist but no it was the anyone under the age of 35 listening to this there used to be this company called creative and another company called craig and they made (laughs) and every gadget was good though i don't know every gadget that you actually wanted they made a super cheap chinese version of that would just crush your dreams whether it was a fancy get this people used to pay hundreds of dollars for flight simulator joysticks like really technical ones Uh, Some of them started incorporating full keyboards into the joysticks, not making this up. And Creative sold a lot of early and very disappointing webcams, joysticks, controller, just any PC peripheral in the late 90s. But they very quickly got into things like mini disc players, iPod knockoffs. uh, Like, if you had a Creative Discman... You were putting a sticker over that logo, is what I'm saying. 
Wasn't as bad as Craig. Craig <laughs> is on a whole different level, okay? I, but Creative was not a great brand. They had some good stuff, but there is also a lot of trash. You also have to keep Creative in... Creative had a very distinct... Uh, um, you have to also remember that every webcam, like, pre-2008 was complete dog shit. Maybe till 2014. Uh, they were... <laughs> uh, the, the... Creative had a very distinctive art style to it as well. It, it's, it was sort of somewhere in between, like, a jet fighter targeting system and the LucasArts logo. Kind of. If you look yeah. up the box of the original packaging of any creative product, it was like squiggly lines. You know what it was almost like? It was like uh, that show Doug, like a really unpleasing <laughs> mix of straight and squiggly lines. I'm going to have to... Uh, they went with a few different ones. I'm talking about the late 90s stuff when they really got their foot in the in the market. It was all... Before that, that 2000s, like, wispy sort of, like, water droplets, like, art style. I'm trying to think. Uh... Everything in electronics and PC went, like, blue and green after 2000. But before that, it was all kind of LucasArts and, and laser targeting systems. It doesn't it's going to be hard to find. People will yeah. play along at home and someone will find someone will find things that support my argument. It, it's it's okay. I'm sure a lot of people are just just know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh yeah, so the Suzuki <laughs> V-Strom 800, uh you know, I I could see myself having one of these and not adventuring it and sort of just doing my thing. Sure. I the it looks very comfortable to ride. That looks like a Ulysses seat. I wonder if half the appeal to these bikes is people get on one and they're like, finally, a seat designed for humans. You know? That probably does happen to a lot of people. I, I bet that is 50% of the reason. It's like, oh my god. Because Harley-Davidson is a company that can't admit that it makes horrible seats and puts people in a horrible sitting position. And they can't do anything to fix it. Well, I think they. Well, I think Harley's worse than that because it, it's a trap. Because in the dealership, that big, super soft, like leather seat yeah. feels amazing, but it doesn't feel amazing twenty minutes down the road. Right. Whereas, hands down, the best motorcycle seat I've ever sat on for a, a few hundred miles continuously is the Ulysses. Easily, yes. Easily. Greatest seats on any motorcycle ever. It, it's not even close. It has like a quarter inch of give to it, which when you get on it at first, you're like, mm, this is not going to be a good time. But 120 miles later, you're like, this is still a good time. How is this possible? It's something like just because you like right away, you kind of have to just adjust to how you're going to sit. So like you don't like wear out parts of your body sitting on it. Like you're not constantly adjusting. You're just from get go or I don't know. 
I don't, you know, I don't know how it works. It just works. Well, it's sort of like, you know, uh, when seats are like, if, if a seat's too hard, you know, you get certain pressure points. But then when they're too soft, all you get is a different set of pressure points, and it just sucks. And all, and you want like the the actual firmness that will actually distribute your weight and get rid of that, and that's what the Ulysses does. So yeah, so you know, someone ride a Suzuki eight hundred and let us know if it's basically the same seat. I mean, you're gonna have to ride a Ulysses as well, but someone go out there and and put in the work, damn it. <laughs> All right, well, we may get an opportunity to do it Austin. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, let's ride one at Austin, and we'll come back and let people know. All right, let's move on now. Everybody hold your breath. And the worst bike in the world this week is... It pains me to say it. It's the RC213V. It's this year. It's Marquez's bike this year. It's dog shit. I, I, I did this with, with Rossi's with the M1R, the last M1R that Rossi rode before Quadraro got in there and figured that bike out. Uh, I'm sorry the the Honda MotoGP bike is, it's the worst bike. I uh, there's. And this might be a bold statement, considering that yesterday, Mark Marquez set an all-time track record with his motorcycle, <laughs> but he only did it because he was in the slipstream of um, uh, it was Bastianini. It was Bastianini, yeah. yeah. He, he couldn't, if he was just on straight track, he couldn't have done it. It wasn't. It, it like he yeah it, he got a couple good sectors in and then he just got towed behind some uh, some other bikes, um, but it's it's the worst bike in the world for a couple other reasons. Uh, the aero package is all shit that has been completely stolen off Ducati, so there aren't even any original ideas in this bike, right? the The mustache is stolen from Ducati. I. Uh, as much as I love a Stegosaurus tail on these motorcycles, it, that's stolen off of Ducati. The the all the the fins underneath the bike are stolen. The just everything, all the good ideas seem to be coming from Ducati, and this is just an example of how creatively bankrupt Honda have become. I mean, it's no secret that Honda listens to our show and instead of hiring us, just continues to steal our ideas. They obviously listened to how we obviously caught on to how they cheat and they've decided that they're being a little too obvious. So they've stopped cheating and as a result have become unbelievably boring and just void of any creativity or desire to win. I don't know. What what the fuck? How this is Honda. This is HRC. This is I don't know how you can spend as much money as they do and not perform and not beat KTM. Like KTM right. must be like five percent the size of Honda. Right. How? How 
how can you put this much money into a team and especially a team with such a reputation and just like over three years just completely crumble not only that they got some of that red bull money too and if you combine all the red bull logos it's a little bigger than that repsol logo uh when you got that Repsol money and when you got that Red Bull money together and your Honda, you got that Honda money, how are you not putting something together that's competitive? Because on the other bike is Mir, and he can't put anything together either. Now, I've done something in the off-season of MotoGP this year that I don't normally do, which is I watched every um practice session every uh uh development session all the testing i watched all the content i could on the app and the story throughout the off season was just honda's in trouble ktm might be in trouble too but fucking honda is in trouble continuously and you know mark marquez was say, was like Mark Marquez has always said, oh, well, we're going to win this year or whatever, you know, and this year Mark was like, look, I'm fit. He's like, I believe in Honda, like trying to walk back his statements because he made some statements early in the offseason where he was like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And then he's been trying to walk that back and been like, no, no, it's okay. Like we're, we're, we're on the verge of finding something. We're going to get that speed back. We're going to da, 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 da. And like, it's, it's not happening. It is just Mark stubbornly trying to make this fucking bike work. And uh, uh, Paul Espargaro wasn't doing anything on it. Who, I mean, Paul Espargaro was never the worst rider in the world. He was just going to be two-thirds down the pack. But his thing was that he was consistent, so he was good for developing a bike. If you put a part on a bike and he went faster, you knew it wasn't because of him. It was because of the parts, <laughs> right? And so I thought that's why Honda wasn't completely insane, you know. But they put John Mir on this bike this year, and you know he's won a championship, right? Uh, maybe if Mark sucks on this bike and Mir sucks on this bike. It's not it's a just objectively bike. a terrible bike. They introduced a new frame on this bike the last two days of testing. So it's possible that this frame is brilliant and they've only had like now five combined days of running this frame and getting data on it. But I I think it's a sign of desperation. Like, holy shit, like two di- the last two days of testing, here's a new frame. Let's just, it's just Hail Mary pass. Is this going to fucking make Mark finally go faster? And it's not. I, I, he was. Yeah, it. I know he did third in the sprint race, and we're going to get into those results in a moment, but that's a half-distance race. Uh, I don't think this bike works over full race distance. 
I mean, all kinds of weird things happen, but you know, before lap fourteen, right? We're talking about for a full race. Does this bike work? No. I think with someone like Mark Marquez, a couple lucky moments. Sure, but I I think we're gonna see Mark get a lot of sprint race podiums this year and fuck all for results in GP races. And I think the bike just sucks. Marquez is starting to look a little bit like old Marquez. I can I'm finally starting to see it in him. But yeah. this bullshit bike ain't getting it done. Yeah, I well, and also just with the amount of testing that uh Joao Mayer has had, he's had enough to get to grips with the bike and and do something. But I he well, he crashed out of the fir- of the sprint race and he came what like 15th in the full I mean, well he did something like well, he that. Did the long he was- lap penalty, but even with a long lap penalty, it's a Repsol. <sighs> We've seen Pedrosa and Mark Marquez start from pit lane and just passed 15 bikes like it was nothing. Yeah, like, this is supposed to be the bike. And it's been the bike for decades. And now it's embarrassing that just, you know, Aprilia, like even Ducati doesn't really do anything on the scale that Honda does. They don't have anywhere near the value. They don't have the manpower. They don't have sponsors. They don't have the funding. And yet somehow they're, you know, we've, you've got Aprilia beating them out. You've got KTM beating them out. Uh, You know, there's some weird things here too that I should enjoy. Right? Like, clearly, Honda listened to me, and I don't like that, that, but they put some red, white, and blue on the fucking bike. Like, thank God. But that's the only good thing about it. That otherwise, but here's the thing to put the red, white, and blue, they took out the stripes that represented the old Honda wings. Yeah, that's. I, I kind of need them both to be on the bike, right? Right. Why couldn't you have put some wings down there, like on the Repsol logo or something? I don't know. Like, uh, uh, fuck. So, but yeah, forget the results. I'm pissed that it looks boring. I mean, if you just put it next to like an R6 in the showroom, yeah, it looks amazing. But compared to all the other GP bikes, snooze fest. But the. We were entertained by Aprilia when Aprilia wasn't winning. Yeah. (laughs) Honda is losing and they're boring. It's a problem, okay? It's a big problem. I mean, well, the most interesting thing about them is that they're losing, right? Well, that was always the thing, like... Yeah. Is this just a bold new direction for Honda's marketing strategy? They're like, hey, guys, we've been winning for decades. Let's try losing. <laughs> They'll never see us coming. Well, I mean, the, the core of the Repsol color scheme has been fixed for so long. And ultimately, even like five, six years ago, the livery was outdated. But it worked 
because it was Honda and it's it was iconic. Repsol. Yeah. And because they kept winning. Not only that, though, like this this paint scheme was like this this paint scheme kept the CBR six hundred selling for like six years past what it needed to complete redesign. I'm sure there were a lot of people who were absolutely uninterested in a CBR 250RR who bought one because it came in a Repsol livery. And the Repsol livery was an extra thousand dollars. I'm I'm saying that no one has ever bought a Monster Energy Yamaha at a dealership on purpose. Maybe there was a display model, and they're like, "This is the only one we got," and they're like, "Okay." I no one's ever bought an X Star Suzuki livery, right? But you go into a Honda dealership, you're like, "Oh, it's the Repsol." It's the Repsol. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would buy a Repsol Goldwing. You know, <laughs> I, I would buy a Repsol Grom. I bet they do sell Repsol Groms. I know I know that somebody's made one 100%. I don't know yeah. if they sell them. There's probably a, a fairing kit, a plastics kit you can get. Well, when we were at Vintage Days, who was selling the ridiculous... Uh, so wasn't someone selling um, uh, like CT-110 Repsols? Oh, there was a CT-110 with a front fork swap with a Repsol paint scheme, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the bike was garbage, but from 10 feet away, it looked real good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I The Repsol magic is gone. And I don't know... Uh, <sighs> and it's not like this just happened. This has been happening for like three years. It's been going away. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we, we kind of pinned some of that on Mark being injured. Now, is that maybe uh, now is that maybe still some of their excuse? Is it the fact that Mark has been basically injured for 3 years? So they weren't really getting good data for the bike to keep it updated? Is this possible? Uh to a degree, but but that's what they had poll for last year. And yeah, they, I, it's not like they've had not had options to keep riders on the bikes and yeah, to actually have. They a could season. have put Ayagura on it this year if they were really interested in. I, uh, I, I love Honda. I don't know how much I love HRC anymore. Because that I mean no okay I love I, I I on a personal level I dislike how horrid HRC is to its riders but like uh, as a total spectator it's really funny they're like Ayagura <laughs> you have you have absolutely performed magic tricks yeah we're not gonna put you on the bike we're gonna put objectively worse riders on the other Repsol bike. <laughs> Is there a giant pool of talent of 18-year-olds that we could draw upon to fill this Moto 2 seat? Yes. Let me give whatever. You, well, let's take one of like the bottom 20 riders off the grid with the longest tenure and the least podiums and we're going to give him an HRC bike. Yeah, but, it's uh, ridiculous. Uh, it, it's absolute yeah. I 
they couldn't even bother to insult him with an LCR bike. <laughs> yeah, it it's wild. I don't know. I, it's like LCR, the team where you walk with your like, like how sad does Alex Renz look on that on that on that LCR Honda? It's like he just he just slunk into that garage and someone handed him a banana, and that was it. <laughs> a deep reference right there if you get it email us so <sighs> yeah i don't have many other places to go it's it's uninspired i i don't i don't like the red bull sponsorship i don't like the red bull colors clashing with the repsol i liked the 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 honda racing red white and blue under the seats but it's not enough red, white, and blue, and I didn't like that they got rid of the wings. I don't like that all the arrow is just knockoff Ducati arrow, right? But, I mean, even KTM came up with a mini, like, car spoiler. Right? I love the car spoiler. The I spoiler do, I mean, amazing. I mean, I hate it, but I love it because I hate it. It looks so stupid. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But like I hate the way that the mustache on the Honda looks like it's melting, and the Stegosaurus fins look like they're melting. It's- well, I don't know. It it's also bizarre to me. At this point, I'm convinced that like MotoGP Arrow is mostly superstition, because it's like if you look at like stealth fighter planes, like you look at like supersonic fighters, like they're all essentially the same shape because they all have to be the same shape because there is an objectively correct aerodynamic profile for a fast moving plane but everyone's gone in different directions except for the people who are copying the uh, other team's homework and yeah well they also like honda couldn't even copy the homework with the correct answers Right, like Aprilia put these awesome new winglets that are mounted on the forks. It's great. It's fantastic. I can't wait. I don't until... know if it works, and I don't care. But... I can't. I can't wait until we see bar and winglets. Like, yes, <laughs> bar and winglets are the future. That is fucking genius, wings. It's coming. Yeah, <laughs> like like those little things that come off the tips of the wings on fighter jets that stick up, <laughs> like, like the little pinkies that stick up on the side of their wings. The yes, yeah. While we're at it, why can't we make the uh, the brake lever protector aerodynamic? <laughs> um. Well, actually, you know where it really needs to go in the end is to to make the exhaust into a fin as well. Yeah. Yep. Why not the swing arm? The swing arm already has a lot of arrow built into it. It has that scoop underneath it. And uh, I think they're starting to sometimes put yeah. some fins down the back of the rear hugger. There, there's a lot of arrow back there also already. But look at all that free real estate down the side. Oh, you right. You put a lot of yeah. there. Okay, I see what you're saying. I love it. I, I, I don't know why they're holding back. The, I, I have been ready since day one for MotoGP to go full Formula One arrow. I, I, I want it to be at the point where 
if they like lose half their mustache, like the bike is unrideable. But some rider will still heroically finish a race with it, you know? <laughs> they I, just brush and all of a sudden both their races are over. Both riders' races are over. A little bit. Well, so, you, you know, well, the, the difference is in Formula 1, they can pit and replace that arrow pretty quickly. In, in GP, we've had a couple instances where some bodywork is damaged and the bike's really hard to control and it's quite an effort for them to bring it home. But there's only been a couple instances. I'd like this to happen one out of every five races. Yeah. Well, one of those was... Okay, at this point, let's just declare the rest of this episode is about MotoGP and the opening round. I think you can just roll right into that. So there's a couple things about GP this year that we need to address. We need to address the new leg dangle. Yes. So for listeners that don't have any context in this and listeners that aren't sort of GP historians, Valentino Rossi in like, I don't know, like 2004 or some shit. It's probably a little after that, but it introduced this move and everyone just called it the leg dangle. And while he was hard breaking uh, into a turn, he stuck his leg to the inside of the corner out and like just pushed his knee out as far as he could. And this did a couple things. One, it shifted his weight to that side of the bike, so it gave him some turning for free. It also caught a bunch of wind and helped him slow down a little bit more. And it preset his body for the lean into the turn. And he put some work into this and mastered this technique. And he won at least two championships off of having this technique perfected better than everyone else. Yeah. Second, a lot of other people uh, copied this, some with results, some without. And then there came an era in the bikes where... I think with part of the traction control, with a with an upgrade in brakes, with an upgrade in tires, some riders stopped doing it. Last year, riders started doing it a lot more again. This year, they're doing it again, but they've also incorporated a foot drag. So instead of just putting their foot their their knee out, they leave it out there longer than Rossi would have. And before they bring their leg back, they sort of drag their toe along the ground. So it's halfway between the Rossi leg dangle and the other part of it is like a flat track foot, like inside foot down move. Yeah. And it, it's interesting yeah, because it goes a lot later. It goes it goes all the way into the trail breaking and they're almost like. They're they're somewhat turned while their foot is still out and yeah they they leave their the they leave their leg out as they're banking down deeper yeah and with the Rossi move it was always kind of like your leg was out like you stuck your leg out and then it kind of came in in onto the peg down into getting your knee down whereas it all just kind of tucks in with this new style a bit more. A bit less dramatically. It's 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 very. It seems like it's more about it's. It seems like it's more about feel than it is about getting the bikes. I up. think it's all about feel. I think it's all about how deep can I turn in aggressively, and while my leg is out there anyway for aerodynamic purposes to help slow me, I might as well get an idea 
of how deep I am into like it, you know, when because we're in a lot of weird courses now. We've got two new tracks this year. We're into a lot of courses that have a lot more elevation and weird banking and um, just odd turns. I think well, in also general, just rapidly changing aerodynamics all yes, the time. I think it really helps these riders to just because because you know we all think about our internal gyroscope. I have I have never turned at the speeds these guys are turning or gone from you know last episode we were talking about that transition from high speed to just going into city traffic that transition from high speed to that because they're sometimes going from 210 miles an hour to a 60 mile turn 60 mile an hour turn that's a big uh, that is an adjustment so you know your internal gyroscope is good i don't know how good your internal gyroscope is that quickly with that kind of speed change it must help to put your toe out there to give you some idea of how high you are off the ground well also just how how fast you're going reg- relative to the the pavement because you know a lot of what you'll feel in your deceleration is going to be the wind resistance but then also just like how many g's your bike is pulling pushing against you but if you completely change the air and you've got more downforce, you're going to actually feel a lot more force when you're you know, at different speeds. And you're, you know, you're not looking down at your speedo at the end of the track. Like, like, oh, am I, am I doing 75 or 73 this turn? Am I, where am I? I think the feel of it is, is almost like a more important reference point. I don't know. But it seems like the style has very, very distinctly changed, and I'm gonna guess that it's more to it's to do with aero. I'm a and fan also, of it. I think it's great. Yeah, and also just the fact that Rossi isn't racing anymore, and now like there's a new. Everyone's not just looking at what Rossi's doing. It's true. It's true. Yeah, the it's it the sport has has evolved past that. But I mean, we still wouldn't have the leg dangle to begin with without him. Yeah. Well, I wish someone else would have invented it, but they didn't. He did. So, it is still he is still the originator of the original leg dangle, and we we can't take that away from him. But important to note that style has kind of moved on. And this is a, I I I have to I have to notice that. All right, other things that we noticed different about this. Well, okay, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. What did we think about yesterday's sprint race? Uh, so I mean, so there's two things. Should we? Ex- well, we haven't actually on the show explained yeah. what the sprint race is. Yeah, okay, so the long and short of it is is that there is a half-distance race on Saturday now after qualifying. It uses the same qualifying positions as the Sunday race. It's not half. It's like it's like 60% or something like that. It's it, weird. Uh, it's it, There's yeah, a it, weird formula for it because it was 14 laps, but today's race was like 24. Yeah. Yeah, it's something weird like that, but it and but it's essentially 
It's roughly half points. Yeah, roughly. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's like it's slightly less because it's like twenty five for for a first place in the main race. It's like four. Uh, it's twelve for um a first place in the sprint race. But I, it's 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 weird. Anyway, uh, I've got two things to say. The first is more racing generally kind of feels good, and it's good to get an interesting feel for the main race, but. I will say one of the best, one of the the things about MotoGP that was so much better than World Superbike um, and Moto America was that there just was one race on the weekend, and if your if your favorite rider crashed on that weekend, it stung that much more. So we're getting back into our debate over whether World Superbike was better with with two races or three or whatever, or I, I've always said that I'm never going to be against more races and I'm holding to it. And Simon Crafar agrees with me. And, <laughs> okay. Well, he said, you know, Simon was saying, you know, if, if you take off for that first race and you get taken out in the first corner, by something that was out of your control it's so devastating and as a racer to have a chance at redemption um, and, yeah i, I agree as I a spectator think, I, I think as a sum total whether you're looking for your rider to win back points on sunday whether you're looking for people to have more context going into gp race for what's happened over the the Friday and Saturday, I think whether you're right, it's less devastating, so it takes away a little bit of drama. It takes some of the stakes away. It takes some of the stakes away, but I think it adds more stakes than it takes away because that many more people are watching Saturday and know what their writer did on Saturday. And they're either looking for their rider to hang on to that or overcome it on Sunday. Yeah. And when we yeah. get into the second part of the season and we're really fighting over points, I I can only see it making things ultimately more interesting and adding more stakes to the situation. You're right. It does take away some. I think it adds more. Also, I'm really excited for the point for when weird teams like LCR Honda or or, or the KTM are just totally set up for sprint. They races. optimize for sprint races, yeah, and they have no idea what they're going to do on Sunday. No idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm waiting for them to optimize. Just go fuck tire life. Well, what do we do when it comes to race day? I don't know. We're just trying to win the sprint races. <laughs> okay, yeah. Someone's gonna do it. Well, I mean, if you can consistently perform in the sprint races, like yeah, it's you, a strategy. Yeah, I, all it's racing. All strategies will be explored. I'm wondering, are we going to get some weird like, like baseball type statisticians come in and be like, oh, what, what's like, like uh, this sport has already been moneyballed pretty hard. It's right? I just <laughs> like, like it's going to be like um. People looking like okay, these the, there's these two riders, they're ten points apart. You know what were their point splits between the between the Sunday races and the sprint races? 
and it's gonna get ridiculous. I, hmm. I don't know. It's we'll, uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Maybe I won't there's... be surprised to see Marquez optimized for sprint races. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I. Somebody will find a setup that can destroy a set of soft tires in 10 laps. Like, utterly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can we completely ruin them beyond all efficacy in 10 laps? And somebody will. But I'm saying, like, make a frame, make suspension, make everything. <laughs> make a frame. Like, make it so Sunday's basically impossible. You're just hoping it's a wet race every week <laughs> and, and that the, the, the regular race uh, the sprint race is dry um I, I enjoyed the sprint race i think it's good i i think they needed to do something to get people out on saturdays i because you know going to gp and and moto america races and everything ourselves we know that that friday and saturday are this weird like well-kept secrets Mm-hmm. It's one, th- you know, all the spectacle is on there Sunday, but Friday and Saturday is for real fans. And this kind of brings in a lot of other people on Saturday who might get a lot more interested in qualifying. Because, you know, it, uh, qualifying seems very uninteresting to a lot of people until you explained. Well, no, they actually go faster in qualifying than they do on race day. Because they're just trying to see what their absolute fastest lap is. Race day is the marathon, right? When you're running a marathon, you don't run as fast as you can. Because you won't be able to complete the marathon running as fast as you can. It's what pace you can maintain for that distance. And that's its own separate thing. Qualifying is just... Who can put in the fastest lap? And practice is great, too, because practice is this weird poker game where everyone's going faster and faster and faster one by one, daring each other to go fast while they're also testing out settings. Yeah. well, And then eventually someone crashes because they pushed it too far and basically is tipping their hand. And then yeah. it's like um, it's like dad's philosophy, like. Ultimately, your goal in life is to just keep spending your money down as, after you've retired. Yeah, on and, the day you die, your check should bounce. Yeah, your last check should bounce on the day you die. Exactly, and yeah. it's the same thing on quali- in qualifying. Like your 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 tire should be completely shredded, and ideally, like you should run out of gas a hundred feet past the, you know, past the finish line on your your best qualifying lap like everything should just be completely spent and it's it's also this weird sort of like bidding war as well yeah because it's like well i'm just gonna go out and set you know one second faster than race pace and then someone's gonna go comes out and says all right we've drifted back enough in the time let's take two tenths off and then someone says like I'm going to take half a second off. And then in the last three minutes, the time comes down like another half second. And then inevitably uh, in a qualifying session, I would say more often than not, 
the actual fastest laps come after the qualifying session has ended. So people have started laps just before the 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 session timer stopped and they get to finish their yeah, last there's rap. a whole weird strategy too because sometimes you think you've timed it perfectly but you're you can't actually do your fast your fast lap session because someone crashed in front of you and they put out the yellow flag and you're not allowed to overtake and it's like fuck uh yeah, my fast run ended. So sometimes you've just got to deal with what you did. There's there's a whole art to qualifying. Well, Swigs, you've seen me down at, at races. Usually I'm just like trying to get in as many beers as I can while practice is going on, but I'm talking to people and, you know, I've, I've just got that ear. It's kind of like my eyes for spotting celebrities. I can hear people like 20 feet away go, oh, did you see what like Pedrosa just put in? Like what, t-, you know, whatever racer we're going, you know, like, like Ridge just did 136 and my head's on a swivel. Like what? You know, <laughs> but when it comes to Q2, I'm in the bleachers and my eyes are fixed. Yeah. Q- Q2 is very, very interesting. And yeah, I- I'm just glad that more people will be there on Saturday and we'll have that many more hardcore fans. Cause there's no way you can be there on Saturday and not get drawn into the drama of qualifying. It's, it's so good. And once you know what to look for, you can see how much faster and how unsettled they are on the bikes. Like the, the extra, like, you know, eight, 10 miles an hour, they might be going on on the bikes. It doesn't translate to TV, but once you know what you're looking for, you start seeing their feet slip off the pegs and their bodies get unbalanced. And it's just hell for leather. When you see them, like, yeah, bouncing on the suspension because they went into the corner really unsettled. And most of the injuries happen in qualifying. Like, the spectacular crashes and the injuries. Uh, think about it. How many races have you heard where where you saw someone get badly injured in a race versus, oh, this racer's out because they had an injury in qualifying or practice? Mm. Practice and qualifying are fucking brutal. It's by far the time you're most likely to get, you know, they don't just show up and race. There's this whole two days of drama before that, you know, like free practice on the day before is just for final setup stuff. Free practice, you could feel free to skip, you know, when you're on the day, you, you go to the bathroom and grab beers anytime a race isn't happening. Free practice on the morning of race day is completely FP4 is meaningless. Right. But if you just look at the timing sheets from FP1 and FP2, you can see, oh, okay, here's here's who's just really in a groove. Here's who's done some flying laps. You can see who's got some setups. You're like, oh, here's a factory team. Here's a factory rider in, like, 12th place. That's a little concerning. Then you watch FP3. And FP3, you know, there are some stakes, but you're really looking at this cutoff 10 riders down in the field because everyone below that is like, look, 80% of you are going to be in the bottom half of the grid. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can change that. Two of you will survive. 
to make it to Q2, right. to have a decent starting place. And sometimes you see big names in that bottom half of the grid. Well, yeah, because they may have gotten fucked up in free practice. They may have been trying to do some flying laps and there were crashes in front of them or whatever. And that's Or why they we... totaled their bike and had to rebuild it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why those top two places are there, really. It's so if you get into a situation where Mark Marquez or Quadraro or Bagnaya, some someone that really should be putting in a top time just for for weird circumstance can only manage a time a second a full second behind the leader or something this is it's a it's one shot at redemption during the the weekend before the race your only redemption is those two q1 extra spots and sometimes you see like three factory riders in the bottom half and you're like, oh, oh which one? Who's going to yeah. get fucked? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It, it, um, uh, so I'm glad the, 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 the sprint race is set up. I'm very happy. So, so with the sprint race, we need to acknowledge MotoGP has two slogans this year. One I'm happy about, one I'm unhappy about, right? Because because whether whether it's the actual nuts and bolts of the sport or this or the weird esoteric bullshit around it, I'm equally interested in both, right? So for some reason, we're still going with this racing together bullshit. I feel like we need a more honest one, something like "I'm not your fucking friend, guy." Well, well, so we'll get to that. We'll get to that because I had a brilliant idea while we we're watching the race. Uh, but, but on the uh, on the level of the sprint races, there's this slogan: "Even more MotoGP." I'm on board with this. This is fantastic. This is yes. There's more races. There's new tracks. There's actually less races than less tracks than last year. But because of the sprints, there's more races, like a lot more. So, so it holds true. There's nothing there's nothing inaccurate about the statements. And yeah, I'm like isn't like Turkey a new track this year and India? I think Turkey and India, is that right? Um if I not, have not actually looked at the calendar this year Yeah, I've done all the research for this and you haven't. <laughs> uh, I think it's Turkey and India. Uh Yeah, let me take a look. But I'll just keep filibustering while you're while you're doing that. But um so, so here's the thing. I, I we a couple episodes ago we were talking about how you should watch GP and watch the there can only be one series to it's like their little mini uh, F1 Drive to Survive type series. It's not broadcast anywhere. You still have to buy MotoGP to get into it, which is its big problem. But it is a good way to catch up on what's happening. Oh, we got Kazakhstan. Oh, is it Kazakhstan? I knew it was something like that. Turkey, Kazakhstan, whatever. <laughs> uh, they're not shaped dissimilarly. Um, the isn't Kazakhstan just Turkey turned upside down? Anyway, um, the the they're pretty. Uh, they're they are when no no. You know, no not at all. It's a potato potato situation, Swigs. Um, so. I'm thinking that what MotoGP needs to do is have a full on like 2003 style reality TV show. 
like fuck this formula one scripted drive to survive like bullshit we need to heavily edit this for drama we need to drop ride together we need to drop even more moto gp it's moto gp i'm not here to make friends or we're not here to make friends that's it boom that's the slogan. No one's using it anymore. Bring that shit back. Intentionally create drama between these writers that maybe not even is there. And their social media accounts will be forced to pick it up and run with it or address it. Go for it. Who gives a shit? Right? It, <laughs> we can invent some beef that turns into actual beef. Right? That's beautiful. We need rivalries on the track and off. Oh, we don't need them, but I will welcome it for sure. I think that we need some shit because, look, we've got some ridiculous characters. Again, I've watched all of the off-season content. I I saw a little bit of it last year, but this year, Bagnaya is the closest we have to an insane Lorenzo personality. This guy is cocky as fuck. He thinks a lot about himself. Uh, Quattararo has really chilled out. I hope it doesn't like make him lose his fastball in terms of riding the bike. But look, since Lorenzo, no one has taken the number one bike. Bagnaya has, right? Because when you win, you get to be number one. If you want to, if you want your race number to be number one. And historically, people usually, like nine times out of ten, don't take it. Bagnaya and Lorenzo took it because they're both quietly insane people. <laughs> Bagnaya. Straight up psychopaths. <laughs> Bagnaya, Bagnaya, go watch the interviews. Watch him talk. What, like, he. There's something behind his eyes that isn't totally there. I, he thinks a lot of himself, which is fantastic. I love it, but <laughs> it he would he is reality TV waiting to happen, waiting to happen, and because they're just there in the paddock doing shit all day, you can just have camera crews just run up and interrupt them. And just turn that into crazy shit. And you know none of it's staged because they're all busy. It's just an, a TV editing challenge. Right? Yeah, I mean, imagine if you just... I mean, you'd have to go through so many things just because every team would be so paranoid about their secrets being leaked. But if you just had, like, one camera and microphone in every pit... And then you just had like two or three TV crews. Oh, going you around. think like the Big Brother static cam? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking about there's so many interviews and walking camera crews anyway. We could just creatively uh, adapt everything that we're getting. But okay. Um, I, and I was thinking this is a natural extension. You know how like they've started taping the riders after the race, and we get the little we get the little winners box conversations and everything. Mm. Just keep extending that and get a reality TV series out of it. But you're okay. What you're the static cam's a different level. Whoa, 
I mean, could we get some of these cameras in the bus? <laughs> like when they go up the staircase to the to the double decker bus, like could we get some of that? I don't know. Because uh, the bus, the bus is sacred, right? We see a lot, of, like like Marquez today took out Oliveira and basically just like said sorry and then ran to his bus and just spent the rest of the day there. No, I want well, he you know he changed out and he wouldn't apologize. It wasn't that long, but. No, I, I think the bus is sacred. I think we can't go completely insane. We can't go full reality. We can't go full reality TV. There, okay. there's, we, we, we do need to have some basic human decency. Okay, <laughs> you're a better person than I am. <laughs> uh, all right. But yeah, no, yeah, I think I think the bus is sacred. But no, like I would say, yeah, the garage. Maybe like when they broadcast it, they've got to like blur out the frame when the fairings off the bikes or something but yeah i'm good with that if 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 uh if the bikes are completely blurred or something i'm i'm okay with that um or maybe just the rule is the bike can't be in the shot yeah something like that any anything that involves the bike the yeah I mean, there's some sort of tech way to do this too. Maybe like like the bike has some sort of, you know, QR code on it. If the camera detects it, it has to has to scrap the whole image or something. I don't know. There, there's things to. Well, I mean, security cameras you put on your house, you can blur out zones on the camera. If it's fixed, yeah. you can do that already. You know what you do? You give the teams. Like a QR thing that they can just show to the camera that stops the image. So the team can control it on and off. Or a, like a switch. Well, and not, yeah, yeah, but like the team's going to be too busy to constantly do the switch on and off. It's just like a thing where they're just, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. But you this know what you do? You, this is what you do. You give the team manager, someone on the team, the ability to step on a box, like our cough box. So I have to like step on and off it, turn the sound on and off like this. The 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 oh so there's just a button this is a foot switch you can just go stand on and and just, it cuts the TV signal yeah yeah something like that because you want it just running because you want to capture that random stuff but if someone flips it off it's just going to be off for the rest of the race you yeah know they're all just going to turn it off immediately <laughs> right what they need is a privacy on button but the default is privacy off anyway the there's a lot of content for a slogan. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is why people come to us. It is not for the it's not for the technical ins- insights that Simon Crayfar will give them, okay? It is not for the stats that, you know, Steve Day or you know, it, it is not for any of that. It is for this kind <laughs> of wild speculation and weird ideas. Okay. We could talk about the race itself. Um, well, no, here's another thing. Portimao is the perfect opening race. Yes. I love this so much more than having to stomach Qatar. I As like the first, Qatar. I do not like Qatar. I hate Qatar. It's, I think the night race is fun. I like it Qatar because it's a night race. If we can pick up another night race somewhere else, I can do without Qatar. Somewhere without slave labor. Or, yes, yeah. yes, yes. 
I like I but like there's got to be like a half decent track we can pour some money into in like Morocco or something, right? Yeah. Or yeah, well, that, that that's one way to do it. I or, would love to do a night race in Morocco. Algiers, well, Algiers is political on the problems. Anyway, th- there's maybe, somewhere. Well, I Egypt's cooled down, right? Could do a track in Egypt. Yeah. Let's go around the fucking Sphinx. Or South Africa. Uh, South Africa is not as hot as you might think, but still, yeah, we should have a South... There, South Africa used to be on the circuit. Um, I'm thinking a good night race. The night race is fun. What's a weird time zone that you could fix by making it a night race? Um, Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> Well, hang on. So, uh, actually, uh, if you're out in East Asia, there's plenty of time. Maybe Hong Kong? No, not Hong Kong. You could do, like, Vietnam in the middle of summer and do it as a night race. And that would work out. That's interesting. That's interesting. You could do, like, Vietnam in, like, July. Or just somewhere in the Australian outback where it's just yeah. so fucking hot. <laughs> you need to wait till. Yeah. <laughs> or s- somewhere siestas are mandatory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's got to be that that weird. Mm. We'll have to think more about this. But the, again, the night race is fun. I, I, I like moving away from Qatar. I don't like losing the night race. But I think Qatar is still on the schedule somewhere. It's just it a- is. It's right before Valencia. Which That's right. Actually, which is going to be weird having Qatar potentially being a points deciding race yeah i don't know how I'm gonna well that's the that. only way they decided to to make it not the opening round is to make it the round most likely to decide the championship statistically <clears throat> yeah you're right it that's a bit i didn't even think about that that is a big disappointment actually that this season might be decided in fucking qatar uh, it's going to have even higher viewership than the opening round. Yeah. But can we just hype up? Um, yeah, it's hype up Portimao. Portimao is... It's a race that's indicative of the rest of the season, and it's in the opening round. That it, hasn't happened for, like, all of the four-stroke era. Yeah, well, it's also... It's it's a track that everybody likes. It's a really It's a really cool track. It's beautiful it's in europe so it's a track that everyone's familiar with it's kind of neutral territory by not being spain or italy exactly it's uh you know you were saying earlier today um before while we were watching like should we go should we plan to go to Portimao at some point? There were th- like, there are four the t- my top four races to uh, of MotoGP to see besides Austin because we live here is a tie now between Silverstone or Portimao. Third is probably Motegi, and which I know is weird, but you get to go to fucking Japan. 
it's it's like the first of the later flyaways. So points mean something. It's a cool ass track. It's a good facility. It's not far from Tokyo. Like if you're gonna fly somewhere for a fucking race, that's a good one. Uh, and then um, the last one I would want to see is Valencia. But the problem with Valencia is often championships are decided. So yeah, by the time you've made the plans, it's like, well, you're right. We already know who's won. It, it's hard to. Do, it's hard. It's yeah. It's if, so hard if to this go. This is a trip you're going to plan four months in advance. The races to see are Silverstone because anyone can fucking win because it's probably going to rain. Portimao now because it's our opening round and it's beautiful. It's the Algarve Coast. There's mountains. It's it's warm. It's beautiful. It's it's fantastic. And then three, you know, Tokyo, travel destination on its own. It's Japan. And having seen races at Motegi before as a kid, like it's it's wonderful. It's a great area of I think, the country. I think the one track missing off your list is uh, Phillip Island. Oh, you're right. You're okay. You're right. Uh, sorry, I'd rather. You know what? On any random year, I would rather see Phillip Island than even a race decided in Valencia. You're right. Phillip Island's a must see race. Yeah, just because it's always a wild card. It's it's but it's yeah, but it's like it's it's still like a track that's relevant. It's, it's like, it's the most relevant flyaway track. Well, it's, it's right away. It's right around the time that like the points are starting to resolve into finalized championship positions, but also but there's surprise winners. Still, there's still surprise winners at the same time. Oh, like, it's so Phillip Island. Yeah. Destinies change at Phillip Island. They really do. Oh, man. Was it, uh, what's his face from Brodo GP was like, why can't we have a se- a series of just all Phillip Island? <laughs> yeah. Why not? I'm in, I'm fully in. It's, it might be the best track. Yeah. Oh. Wait, uh, Phillip Island's not the cat. Uh, Phillip Island is what animals? Phillip Island. Ooh, I can't remember. Oh yeah. By the way, like I decided this last year, but we really need to solidify it this year. F- uh, Mao is a rabbit. It's it's jumping. It's like landing. It's jump. Phillip Island is the cat. Okay, yeah. Phillip Island is the cat. Okay, I thought. Uh, I was like, it's not the cat. No, it is the cat. Okay. Um, yeah. Portimao is the rabbit. Yeah. I, it just has to be said. Now, this sounds dumb. A lot of people think it's dumb that we discuss what track is what animal. Well, we should just, for anyone who's not familiar, we should just reference, well, you know, if you no, can. Th- go find out why on your own. <laughs> Okay, just Google tracks and animals with where we settled on this was an important thing. But well, it started as a joke. Uh, it was a it was a well. No, we 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 should we should, let's, right. let's be friendly. So this was a uh, it's a, something really only American like race fans, American motorcycle race fans know this joke and yeah. nobody else. It's which is ridiculous. It's fucking hilarious. So you got to go find um, the Ben Spees MotoGP video. 
Yeah, and, fun fact, Ben Spees was in MotoGP at yeah. one point. <laughs> and they did this whole spoof interview with him. And Ben Spees is a very, very plain-spoken person. And has... He's kind of a little bit like Channing Tatum, though. He has a strange com- like comedy ability. Well, he he delivers the lines as dryly as like Leslie Nielsen does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he's talk and they're, they're talk. He has an um. There's an interviewer who's talking to him. He's like, "How did you, you know, you've you've won races at tracks you've never been to before. How did you do it? It's like, what, what's your what's your technique?" And he says, "Well, the first thing I do when I get to a track is I try to figure out what kind of animal it is." And he's just, and he's just, he's like talking to her. I go try to find some keychains with my name on them. (laughs) And he's like, like, I just imagine myself riding around that animal and then, then I win. But, but there's actually some weird truth to this. As a race fan, if you decide what animal the track looks like, you will enjoy the race more. Because as you imagine the riders going around the rabbit ears or its feet or its nose or it whatever, does help you have your reference point for and where you they get are. a better idea for the space and where they are in the track and how much space is in front of them until the next turn, and you will enjoy the race more. And it 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 sort of helps gives you a, a hybrid idea of seeing the race live and seeing it on TV. So we're always obsessed with what shape, animal shape the track is. I I think there's also a great a great thing in there somewhere of deciding what Pokemon the track looks That's like as well. Too, yeah. But we're not all up to date on how Pokemon look. So, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of debate over if um, I can't remember which Italian track looks like Geodude or or. <laughs> <laughs> looks like another one. <laughs> anyway, um, there. Yeah. So, so Portimao is a rabbit. Just look up Portimao the track and look at the rabbit, and then watch the race, and you'll enjoy the race more. And know that as you're coming down the rabbit's ears, that's the big elevation drop, and you'll really be much more in tune with what's happening in the race in terms of like it's real, real world, three dimensional space. I don't know. Or don't. Just watch it like an idiot. I don't know. Uh, Let's see here. We're getting towards the end of our time for this episode. Any other GP takeaways? I mean, we we should talk about Jack Miller finding speed on the KTM. Some actual race talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's my good idea. KTM was throughout all of practice, like all of testing, all of everything consistently right at the bottom of all the time charts and then out of nowhere in qualifying for this round jack miller just posts big times out of nowhere and ktm had said that they found something on the last day of testing but everyone was like yeah i mean if you listen to simon Simon Crafar and everything. If you go to the the after the flag on the last day of testing, 
He's like, yeah, they said they found something, but I just don't know. God. I mean, I hope that they have. I mean, no, they didn't. I, but they did find something. It was amazing. And Jack is just like posted big times and is as fast and as competitive as he was on last year's Ducati, I would say. Yeah, he found a lot of speed. Well, he was trading uh, all-time track records with with Marquez Mark. right up until the end of qualifying. And and then uh, um, he was – was he – did he crash on the sprint race? I think he did. Or did he crash uh, on today's race? He crashed on one of them, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yep. Point is, he's fast. Well, and we should, no uh, one saw that coming from KTM. So we should uh we should probably also point out some of in Moto three. We've got a couple new uh rising stars. We've got Oh, Hol- this is true. We've got Holgado who won the first race, who is not Well like, that's this is his second year. Or yeah, it's the second year. And he won and looked super solid throughout true. the whole thing. Very true. And then we have so had um you know, we've got Moira and uh or Morera. Uh, yeah and uh what's his name you you could put this up on the tv i i guess i could um <laughs> uh munez who's oh, been around munez. for a while Munyuth. yeah who's been around for a while and i, I don't know i don't know if i care too do we need much to do a whole episode on how to pronounce foreign names well we should learn first but yeah <laughs> Because we're going off of we're going off of the British uh, commentators, which is the most gaslighting experience you possibly can have in terms of oh, learning. They, they call it Munoz on, on yeah. the British, but it's Munoz. It's yeah. Spanish. Uh, but now we've got this new young talent who didn't come out and win right away like we saw um, uh, Acosta do. But we got Jose Antonio uh, Rueda, who... Uh, who did that's a tough name too r-e-u-d-a r-u-e-d-a yeah oh yeah r-u-e yeah. even Rueda. harder i argue yeah. <laughs> well it, it's spanish so it's it's, it's rueda um but it, yeah it's uh yeah and he came fourth but led a couple times qualified second it's his first moto three race his very first race and but he also uh went big because his move this year uh was to take Marquez's number. He's number ninety-nine. Which oh. is a big bold move. I forgot that Marquez was ninety-nine before he was ninety-three. Yeah, so uh oh sorry, no, um Oh no! Sorry, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm dumb. No, well, who was 99 then? Uh, Lorenzo was 99. That's it. Sorry, sorry. I, I said it wrong. It's not Marquez. Lorenzo. Yeah, he's a, so he took 99, which is another. Bit. Didn't Marquez have a different number before 93? I can't remember what his. A lot of them have switched numbers yeah. between the two. But okay, but you're right. He was 99. Uh yeah, Lorenzo was ninety nine because he had the the angel on one and the devil on the other. It was so cheesy. It was awful. It was the worst. It was the worst. Uh, but that's what made it great. I'm surprised ninety nine hasn't been a retired number. 
I think Lorenzo's that good. They could have retired the number, but I don't know. People Maybe. fight me on this. Lorenzo it was so I. You know, people say, talk a lot about Casey Stoner and 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 a lot of others. After after Rossi and um and Marquez, Lorenzo's about as good as it gets. <clears throat> yeah, but this guy, you know, this guy is seventeen years old, and. Oh, we've got an up-and-comer that didn't need to have special rules created for him. Yeah. First <laughs> been race, a while. First race, qualified second, led the race at one point, and just barely had third place sniped on the final turn. Uh, I think we'll be uh, keeping an eye on this guy. Oh, yeah, for certain. Um, and then following that, we should just talk about the fact that on the very first race of the year uh, in Moto2... I just want listeners to know I'm about to drink a melted Natterday's lemon popsicle. Uh, that's a pineapple, isn't it? Oh, you're right. Pineapple. I mean, it's still disturbingly spicy <laughs> for pineapple. But All anyway. the flavors are my little babies. Okay. So <laughs> anyways, we should just before we uh before we close this up, we should just give uh talk about very quickly um Pedro Acosta winning the Moto two race and doing it in a very chill, calm and collected fashion. Different than I've seen him ride before. And it he looked like he was really in his own style. Everyone last year and the year before, everyone was trying to peg a Rossi or Lorenzo or Stoner or a, a style on him. Uh, I really felt like I was seeing him race as himself today. I really felt like it wasn't reminiscent of anyone else. He was judging the race in his head in real time. He was reacting to the person behind him in real time. He wasn't trying to emulate something else it just felt like okay here's pedro and he's going and when he's challenged he responds to it and I, yeah i i didn't see any other rider in him i just saw pedro acosta yeah and he managed to push him he managed to stay ahead of canet and canet Eventually just had to back off and just accept second place. I think these are better melted. <laughs> anyway, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, it, and uh, I think you missed the interview, but no, Kinnett just straight up said like, yeah, um, Pedro was too fast. <laughs> I shredded my front tire and uh, he, Kinnett act, actually um, matured a little bit as well. He said, you know what? We're in this for the long distance. Well, he couldn't have been any more immature. There's only one direction to go. <laughs> yeah, and he did accept second place, and that's what he—that's what he—he he, he did back off in the end. He ran a good race. He had nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, he put pressure on Pedro for a lot of that race. He ran a smart race at the very end. He backed off, just like he should have. It was a, he had a comfortable second place. It was yeah. It was like one of those things where um, 
like I will compare this. Uh, what like Rossi and Lorenzo were trading races, and one of them was clearly gonna win, and one of them would just sec- settle for a really comfortable second place. Or sometimes Lorenzo Marquez did this. Yeah, it was very reminiscent of one of those races. Yeah, it was, um, in, in any case, two big talents, obviously. How much more they, time have we got to do on that? A few more minutes. Okay, well, we should just finish off with one last thing, which is we have a new and much, much more fun stand-in for John McPhee in terms of riders who should have retired and moved on. Oh, yeah? Romano Fanati oh, yes. back in Moto3. <laughs> How could I forget? Oh, what uh, maybe my OG favorite? Uh, I love Romano Fanati. He was nowhere near relevant in this race whatsoever. Very John McPhee. Uh, but you know Romano, but also not like John McPhee, in which he is probably the only rider who has ever conducted himself on track in a way that could have drawn criminal charges <laughs> by pulling another rider's brake. So good. In the middle of a straightaway. I mean, it's up there again. His with, teammate. It's up there with Darren Bender giving double middle fingers in the middle of a slide being knocked off his bike. It's up there with the Sepang clash. It's up. I mean, it's oh, what a mo. I mean, so many people were so upset. It just, I, it, my eyes turned into hearts the moment it happened. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember we saw him on the, on the, on the grid sheet and you're like, look at his face. He's just saying like, they fucking let me back in. Can you believe it? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, if you're a little newer to the show and the sports, go back and just look up Romano. All you need to put into YouTube is Romano Fanati. But if it doesn't give it right away, Romano Fanati and just the word break. Or kill switch. Or incident. Or incident I, will put up will bring up a lot of results. Oh, it's it's such a it's such an insane moment in motorcycle racing. <laughs> it's something that weirdly I think non motorcyclists would think would have happened more. But if you've ever been on a motorcycle, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, remember when he got like, um, like lap, um, not lap penalty. He got um, like position, like grid penalties for flipping other riders' kill switches, yeah. like on <laughs> in free practice. Yeah, he was a dick. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> He's chilled out a lot because he knows that if he does anything, he'll be kicked out so fucking fast. All right. I, I think we need to put this to an end. This is our this has been our comprehensive opening round coverage. All the hard you know, I think we did a good a good job of hitting all the hard hitting elements that everyone else is gonna have ignored from the first <laughs> yeah. round of MotoGP. <laughs> This is the most fun sport in the world. It just has to be. There's, there's no other. I besides maybe professional wrestling, this is the most fun. All right.
All right, let's let's just roll the outro. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Mm, cold. <laughs>